150th Psalm, give your attention to the reading of God's perfect, inerrant, and infallible word. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Amen. We all know that some things simply follow from another. Throw something up, it will come down. Ask a stupid question, you'll get a stupid answer. You make money, the government will take some in taxes. Some things simply follow from another. And likewise, the end of the Psalms follow from the beginning. Psalms 1 and 2 are pillars holding up a welcoming entrance gate to the Psalter. If you pass through that way, if you take seriously the world into which the Psalms invite you, praise will be the result. Psalms 145 through 150 offer the summit and the culmination of the Psalter, the necessary and certain experience of life lived within its pages. As we covered in Sunday School, the book of Psalms was originally organized into five books, and each of these five sections ends with doxology, a word of praise. In the case of the first four, that means several verses of praise. Book one, for example, it ends with Psalm 41's, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. And books two and books three end similarly, as does book four in 106.48. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. The fifth and final book of the Psalms also ends with doxology, but not a verse. Five complete Psalms, 145 through one. 50, often called the Hallelujah Psalms, because each begins with that word, which is translated, praise the Lord. Praise is the natural and supernatural result of the blessedness offered in Psalm 1. Praise is the response to God's revelation of creation and recreation available to us in Christ. And these hallelujah psalms celebrate, demonstrate, and instruct us in the practice of praise. This morning psalm, 150, though the shortest of the five, uses the word praise 13 times. 
A primer is an elementary textbook that serves as the introduction to a subject. Yes, it's primer. Primer prepares your walls for paint. A primer prepares your mind to study a subject more deeply. And on the subject of praise, Psalm 150 is the textbook. It teaches us the who, why, how, and who of praise. Yes, I know, I said who twice. We'll get to that. But I would say Psalm 150 isn't just a primer on praise. It's an example of praise. Remember that the book of Psalms is very much a hymn book as much as it's an instruction book. It is filled with praises that, yes, teach us to praise and should provoke our hearts to join in praise ourselves. One pastor wrote, the psalmist bids us lift our eyes toward the heavenly sanctuary. Though our minds can never take in this immensity, the mere taste of it will deeply affect us. The psalmist's primer begins with who we should praise. The answer is contained in the first word, hallelujah, which the ESV translates, praise the Lord. Hallelujah combines two Hebrew words, the word for boast and God's name, Yahweh, or a shortened version of it. It's a call to praise, to boast in God, giving him the honor that he's due. Praise is something we're accustomed to. We do it all the time. We praise kids for working hard or making good grades. We praise friends for recent haircuts and new outfits. We praise athletes, musicians, and celebrities. We praise performances, accomplishments, and milestones. If the task at hand is to praise Yahweh, hallelujah, it's not the praise part that's the problem for us. But when it comes to praise, our tendency is to look down rather than up. We see praiseworthiness in people and things around us, so we speak up and we shout out in praise. And the psalmist is not suggesting that we stop. He's suggesting that we add to it, that we also look up and in doing so see something immeasurably more awesome than anything going on down here. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. And so the subject quickly turns to why. Why should we praise? If we look up, what will we see that will draw forth such praise? Why is Yahweh worthy anyway? This is a common structure of hymns throughout the Psalms and throughout our hymnal of more modern hymns. First is the call to praise and then are the reasons. And the reason is verse 2. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Another pastor observed that in the review of the whole, there is occasion for praise. Why is God praiseworthy? Look around. Give it a moment's thought. He created us. He sustains us. He redeems us. He comforts us. He provides for us. 
He leads and directs us. He gives us cause for certain hope. He forgives our sin. Yes, life is filled with trials and disappointments. The Psalms are incredibly honest about those. Sin can leave its mark on us and on the world in which we live. God is refining us as with fire to make us ready for the day of Christ's coming. All these difficulties are true, but they don't tell the whole story. In the review of the whole, there is occasion for praise. That's why praise should be frequent and it doesn't have to be complicated. Praise God for the small things. Praise God for the daily things. A sentence of praise upon observing God's goodness throughout the day brings glory to your Father in heaven. Someone else did the difficult work of writing it. But your vigorous singing of a hymn brings glory to God. Heartfelt participation in the corporate prayers, likewise, all of these means glorify God by giving him the praise he deserves. Now, one thing to watch out for is that praise, which is simple and which is frequent, can sometimes become mechanical and unfeeling. Participation in Sunday worship can become that way for some. Another common example I see is prayer at meals. Do we even seriously consider those prayers as an opportunity to obey Psalm 150 and praise the Lord in his sanctuary and his mighty heavens? Those simple prayers at meals are very much that. We're acknowledging that God is both the great provider and the provider of this very meal in front of us. And when we do that, we acknowledge our need for sustenance and our dependence on him. And by extension, our dependence on him for all our needs. It's simple. But if we think seriously about it, it's profound and it's praise. I read this week that there's a world of difference between the statements, Oh, what a beautiful morning. And thank you, Lord for this beautiful morning. The difference is the level of awareness and attention to the creator and creature distinction. Do you remember that God made us out of nothing? Do you remember that he gave us his own breath? He created us for his own glory. Everything that we have and experience and are and will be is because of his desire to glorify himself through our lives. In any given moment, if you think about that just deeply enough to grasp it, praise is the certain result. It's why so many times in the epistles, Paul is talking about these marvelous doctrines of Jesus Christ, and then he just can't help himself. He bursts forth in doxology and praise. The more we see of God in his truth as he is, the more our hearts are prompted to praise. Verse 2's mighty deeds and excellent greatness. Those are the result of a God who is both holy and omnipotent. Power without righteousness could only provoke fear and insecurity. 
Righteousness without power is too weak to be useful. But one teacher concludes, put the two together in an infinite degree. And that is our God. That's why we should praise. He is worthy. The next concern is how we should praise. How much praise and and what kind of praise does God deserve? And the psalmist says, all of it. All the praise from all the things. And the psalmist devotes more attention to this in his praise primer than to any other question. He lists a representative sample of all the instruments of his day. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance, with strings and pipe, with sounding cymbals, with loud clashing cymbals. And the general point of that list is that God is worthy of worship with everything that we have. In fact, the addition of dance in the list suggests that it's not just about all that we have, it's also all that we are. But there are, as well, some specific associations the psalmist wants us to make. For example, a lot of attention is given to symbols. Have you ever sat down at a drum set? I have many times. I am no drummer. But isn't there something irresistible about those symbols? You want to keep a beat for just a moment, but what you really want to do is just whack one of those symbols. Something about them just draws out the enthusiastic desire to make noise. Likewise, our praise should not be timid. We should put our whole selves into it. We should sing out. We should engage our emotions in the act of worship. We should feel inwardly as excited and enthusiastic about the worship of God as we feel about any other number of things in life that we unashamedly enjoy. Yes, you can be over the top in silliness or attention-seeking, but you cannot overdo genuine praise because you cannot praise God beyond his worthiness. You can't give him something genuinely he doesn't deserve. You can't give him too much of yourself or what you have. It's not possible. And yes, there's a difference between what's appropriate in public worship and in private worship, in corporate worship on Sunday, and in daily worship with our families or even alone in our cars or in the shower. The Psalms say we should worship God in our beds, but I don't want you bringing cots in here and having nap time as an act of praise. What is too individualistic or too chaotic for this setting can still be a highly appropriate way to enthusiastically praise God in another context. I heard the story this week of an exchange that took place in a college cafeteria at one o'clock in the morning after their annual spring formal. And most of the students had left. It was a faculty member telling this story that a, a half dozen faculty members were standing around the piano chatting with the leader of the band. And his name was Duke Ellington. And they said, would you tell us about your recording of Psalm 150? Do you know Duke Ellington recorded 
an album of psalms. And he said, oh, yes. And he called out to Tony Watkins. He said, come over here, Tony. And, and he came and they gave this rendition of Psalm 150 with Ellington on the piano and Tony Watkins singing the words, praise the Lord with the sound of the trumpet. And Ellington looked up from the keyboard and smiled and said, and that, my friends, that's where Cat Anderson takes off on a marvelous trumpet ride. Now look, an unmuted trumpet in this room probably isn't conducive to well-ordered worship or to the health of our hearing. Neither is the improvisational praise of jazz or funk performers. But Psalm 150 says that it has its place. And there are plenty of times and venues in life for the infinite styles of praise of which God is due. The psalm mentions trumpets, which in scripture are associated with important events. Trumpets sound the call to war. They proclaim the year of jubilee. They announce the presence of the king. They get the attentions of many people. God is worthy of the trumpet sound. He's, he's worthy of us being jolted out of our day-to-day -day stupor and to see that something different is happening. Another intended association is verse 4. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Doesn't that remind you of Miriam and the other godly women praising him after their deliverance at the Red Sea? It wasn't rehearsed. It wasn't practiced. It was an immediate response to God's goodness and blessing. Praise poured out of them with instrument and dance. Because God is worthy when we experience his holiness and his power, spontaneous praise should be the result. How should we praise God? With everything we have and with everything we are. It will look and sound differently in different contexts, but the heart and the principle are the same. God is worthy of our praise. And that he's worthy of more than we can ever give doesn't mean that we hold back from giving all that we can. That brings us to the final answer of the psalmist primer on praise. It's the second who. This time the question is not who should be praised, but who should praise. From whom should this praise come? Who is invited called and commanded to lift up their voices to the glory of God? The answer is in verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The invitation goes out broadly to everyone and everything that breathes. From whom is God owed praise? Everyone to whom breath was given. It's owed to the life giver. And so the natural participants in praise are the beneficiaries of that life. A pastor wrote, to give the least particle of God's honor to someone else is shameful treason. To refuse to give it at all is heartless robbery. On the lead with character trip this week, Steve used the example of one of you kids imagining that you had thought of the perfect Father's Day gift for your dad. 
You heard him say how much he wanted this thing, and you saved up for it for months to buy it, and you planned for the day by getting mom's help to purchase it and to wrap it really nicely. And then imagine that dad opens that gift, sets it on a shelf, and never looks at it or uses it again. What a waste. What a waste. The psalm begins with praise the Lord, which I mentioned is the word hallelujah. The Yah of hallelujah is Yahweh, the divine name of God, which in Hebrew is the four consonants, Y-H-W-H. And they're not hard consonants. They're like breath. The name of God sounds as though God is just putting out breath. And he's putting out breath into us. He gave breath to all who have it. And now the question is, what will they do with it? What will you do with it? Sometimes we use our breath to speak out lies, slander, complaints, and curses. Is that what the breath from God is for? No. The breath from God is for noble and godly things. It's for building up rather than tearing down. It's for praising what is excellent, rejoicing in what's beautiful. It's for comforting the sorrowful. It's for rejoicing with those who rejoice. And, writes one author, the highest use of breath is sincere praise to the one who gave it. The connection between the beginning and the end of this song. Yahweh, the great breath giver, cries out that everyone who has breath should praise and glorify his name. To do anything less is to waste it. It's to take a marvelous gift we've been given and to put it on a shelf unused. Reading commentaries for this week's sermon, I was unexpectedly inspired to re-watch some of the great nature documentaries. From the Christian perspective, there's the riot and the dance, and we all know David Attenborough's BBC and the incredible production value those have. And what crossed my mind was the idea to re-watch those documentaries for the purpose of observing the creatures of earth in a new way using the breath God gave them to praise him. If you look closely, isn't that what they're doing? They're using the breath he gave them for the purpose for which it was given. And every time they do that, they are praising the greatness and the goodness of the one who gave it. Another author I read considered it even more broadly. He said, if one could hear all the sounds of praise emanating from this planet, they would be able to detect not only the elegies of Ellington or the cantatas of Bach, but also the gentle whir of a hummingbird's wing or the sturdy cantus firmus and counterpoint of the humpback whale. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Sons and daughters of God, what are you doing with your breath? With your voice? Do you believe that God is worthy of enthusiastic 
praise? It's a tough question, no matter what age you are. The kids think it's just about them, but as adults, we know it's not cool to appear too enthusiastic about anything. And yet, we do decide along the way that some things are worth it. We shout out for our favorite sports team. We'll sing karaoke or loudly in the car with friends if it's a favorite song. You've probably pumped your fist, offered a high five, or done the tomahawk chop at some point in the last months. And that's good. Enthusiasm is good. Joy in life is a great blessing. And now consider what praise is God worthy of? How much? What kind? What level of emotional engagement? What frequency? How mighty are his deeds? Can you quantify his power? How excellent is his greatness? Can you, can you put his holiness on a scale? I hope you see what the psalmist is getting at this morning. Friends, our God is worthy. He is worthy of your praise with all that you have and all that you are. He gave you breath. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That means you too.